just a couple of little additional notices actually before we start this morning. A couple of things that felt we needed to talk about. One was just a very brief notice, Neville just reminded me, that next Sunday we have uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, coming to speak. You know, we set up a CAP centre some months ago, which Neville's heading up. So uh, please do come out for that, give us a bit of an update on the work and cast some vision. And we're believing for so much through the, the work of CAP. So uh, do make sure you come out for that. Um, the other thing is that um, over the next few months, in the background, there's, there's just been an awful lot of work going on in terms of you know, strategic growth in the church and looking at how we operate as a leadership through to our partnerships with other churches and all kinds of good stuff happening. Um, and so just to say, really, keep your ear to the ground because over the next, I would say, well, where are we now? May. So, middle of May. So, between May and September, they're, they're, I'm expecting to be a little flow of news with some very exciting things are going to be happening. Just feels like, you know, for whatever reason, God's allowing us to put our foot on the accelerator, even when we weren't planning to. You know, I've, I spent, you know, a bit of time just prayerfully before the Lord mapping out a kind of five-year plan of, well, we could do this then and that then. And then, you know, in the background, the Lord keeps throwing in a spin ball. Oh, I didn't plan for that then. So, okay, we've got to catch up with that one. So it's very, very exciting what's happening. So over the next few months, uh, expect some very interesting news and, and updates that you're not going to be expecting. Uh, but it's all very, very exciting and all about God's smile being on the church, really, and allowing us to build something with a sole intention of winning as many people to Christ as possible and soon become committed long-term followers of Jesus. So everything that we're going to be talking about in the months ahead is about that. You'll know if you cut me in half, I'm, I'm a living, breathing evangelist and I'm, I'm planting churches over the years because I want people to come to Christ and grow strong in Christ because he's the ultimate hope for people, isn't he? In terms of eternal destiny and transformation and living with a sense of peace and hope, it's Jesus. He's not going to be a self-help book. It's not hypnotism. It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? He is, he is the answer. So we want to create a church and a mission that gives as many people as possible in Ches Vegas the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And uh, moving rapidly on, uh, as you get to know me and IU, you'll know that there are several things uh, that I'm very passionate about and several scriptures uh, which over the years have, have like deeply spoken to me. And um, one of them was uh, approximately 16 years ago, um, I was driving to a church meeting and uh, the Lord gave me what I can only describe as a kind of vision, really, of Jesus with his arms outstretched over the town where I was ministering. I mean, I looked, I almost like saw the Lord. It was in my mind's eye, but it was so overwhelmingly powerful. And, and then God, by his spirit, whispered some verses uh, to me. I even, do you know what, even this larger print Bible, I can't read it with my glasses on, it's so catastrophic. Okay, so, it's so awkward. Um, it was Isaiah 54. Now, I, Luke 4.18 is so important to me, 18 to 20, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, set the captives free, recover his sight to blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Those verses to me are like my life verses. So anything that I do, any church that I plant, any mission I get involved in, those verses are, are stamped right through it. 
And if we are not being good news to the poor, and if we're not setting the captives free, and we're not recovering sight to the blind, if we're not proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour, jubilee, freedom for the captives, and those whose lives have become captive, I'm like, I might as well pack in. I'd, 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 just, I'd just go and sit on the beach in, in Bermuda and do nothing. Wash me motorcycle. You know, I, unless we are setting captives free and seeing good news preached to the poor, I'm out. Are you with me? Like, so that is, that is stamped through this church. That, that's why one of the first things we did, although we probably didn't do it as quickly as we'd liked, because I was trying, you know, I was trying to get all the plans together properly. Love it when a plan comes together, but that's why we've got a cap centre, and that's why we, you know, we, we want to support the food bank and other things like that. But there was another verse. When I had this epiphany, this moment, it was Isaiah 54. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not... That's what the, the accurate, my favorite version, NASB Bible says. Spare not. Hold nothing back. Stretch out, hold nothing back. It's basically what it means. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and left, and your descendants will possess the nations, and we will settle, will resettle desolate cities. It is an incredible prophetic promise of the Lord in a particular situation. 16 years ago, I had a vision of Jesus with his arms outstretched over the town and the Lord put that verse deep in my heart and, and within no time at all we'd seen the church explode. I mean, there were people coming to Christ left, right and centre. We were like, what? we are not doing anything different. We are seriously not doing anything different. But God just started to, to bless the church. Honestly, a couple of weeks ago, in prayer, I was preparing a talk, and that, that verse, again, hit me like a steamroller. I'd forgotten it. I'm a Luke 4, 18 to 20 guy, but that verse came back to me, and I felt this impression of the Lord saying, this is for now. Spare not. Strengthen your tent pegs. Spread out. Spread abroad. You're going to resettle desolate cities. I felt the Lord say, this is now. I think it's why God's bringing certain people into the church. It's why we're seeing uh, the beginnings of quite a lot of salvation. And we're starting to see God touching people's lives in quite profound ways. And people growing in confidence in their faith. Like remarkably growing in confidence in their faith. And at risk of embarrassment, I am going to say this uh, because it was a public act. But like, and, and I'm, you know, it's, it's not a proud day moment. This is, this is what I want to see for everyone. But uh, Emily, working in the market hall, saw a woman really struggling this week. You know, teary and it's a bit of a medical episode. And, and heart was, said her heart was beating in my chest, but I knew I needed to go over and share the gospel and pray for her and did it. Like a 19 years old. Now, that, when that starts to happen... When your young people are getting out there and being spiritual commandos, despite overcoming their fears, you know the church is on the edge of something. And I know that's happening in other people's lives too. That's just an example I know. In fact, Mick, Mick collared someone today going in for the footy. In fact, was it the other week you said to him, turn left, you've got the football, go right, you get saved. And then this week, and then this week I was standing there and he walked past and he went, go on, mate, turn right, go that way. And he went, one day, one day. And that, that, that is the beginning. That's how it starts. That, that is getting out there and living for Christ. That, and the only reason the Lord would say, spare not, don't hold back, strengthen your tent pegs, 
is because it's not just going to be the ones and twos. You're all going to get on it. And I can see it bubbling up in people. This is what it's all about. We had started to see the breakout of people truly living for Jesus. And it's a very, very exciting time. That's why we're gunning for a building. Not because we love buildings. We, we want people saved and we've got to put them somewhere. I don't want to put them in McDonald's. I want to put them in a place where we can worship the Lord and build a cathedral base that we can spread out from and plant into all the mining villages and start to do regionally affecting stuff so that we see thousands of people saved. Right? The, the vision I believe God's given me is to see a thousand new, brand new disciples over the next 10 years. Now, that's not including people moving in and all kinds of other stuff. And I, I don't know, I'm up for it. You're up for it. I mean, it's part of the reason I quit my job, so you better be. You know, I'm really up for it. Well, I wanted to show you, uh, Josh, like in our property team, we have a national planning inspector. We've got an architect and a builder. I mean, it's like, how does that even happen in a church that's three years old? So that is a St. Hugh's building uh, in the grey. And um, this is the, the architect, Josh Botham, everybody. has drawn up a little cheeky um, uh, picture. Well, you can clap him for you. I think it's very clever. Uh, so there you go. Well, look at those trees. Look how beautiful those trees he's drawn are from the computer. So um, the idea is that's the site in the top right. And, and what we're thinking is we want to, for God's glory and for the purposes of mission, buy the building. And then the green thing is not astroturf. We're not putting a footy pitch in. That's a potential extension to build an auditorium for six to 800 people. And then, you know, potentially selling off some land to, to help purchase it. Because it's going to cost a few quid. I mean, it's going to be at least 60 quid, this, to do this old job. <laughs> you know. So, it's going for auction. The existing building is going for auction on the 10th of July. And at least me and Mike, and hopefully a couple of other guys on the property team, I, we are going to go. And we're going to bid on the building. And um, I think they're going to put me in a straitjacket so I don't get carried away. <laughs> oh, a million pounds, you'll be fine. The Lord's got all the money in the cattle on a thousand hills. It's fine. Uh, so I'll be restrained, but the others who are more sensible uh, will do the bidding. And we're, we're hoping to raise to be able to bid up to 600,000 uh, pounds by a mix of stewardship, giving us a mortgage, and... Uh, some savings that we have, and the generosity of you guys. That's so. This is now. This is now real. It's not abstract anymore. So you know, search your hearts and it's how you can get involved, financially and practically. But we are going for this, and the reason we're going for it is, we believe that God's given us a mandate to win many, many people to Jesus Christ in this town, and to bless the poor and the other churches to see radical transformation come into people's lives. It's the only reason. I'm not a buildings geek. I, I, I just want to see people get saved and, and put our ministry somewhere. It, it's as simple as that. So if you're feeling a rise of faith, then, you know, join with us in it. If this is a stalking horse, if it's like the Lord saying, no, get ready, because, you know, you need to get your plans together and we don't actually snaffle that building up, there'll be something else. But at the moment, that's what's in our sights. And we're believing for it. We're standing in faith for it. If it doesn't happen, I'm not going to come in here crawling around and he's all disappointed and crying in the corner sucking my thumb. I'll just think, let's move on to the next thing. God's got a plan. I personally think the Lord's going to, you know, potentially deliver that building into our hands. 
I'm hoping that there's a massive collapse in confidence in bidding for it and we get it for like really cheap, which would be amazing. Uh, there are various shenanigans around there as to why we could get it cheap, but stretch out to the right and left. Spare not. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. And last week, uh, Dan preached on Joshua chapter 1 because we're doing this like highlights reel uh, from Joshua 1. I had a little listen to the sermon and stuff uh, this week. And honestly, God quickened my heart. Um, it's like, oh, there, there, there's, there's a warning here as well for us. Like, this is all exciting. And I can, I can stand in the foyer in the mornings and point to people who just come to Christ. or It's just an amazing thing. And people encountering God's spirit. It's, it's beautiful. But I, I felt the Lord warn me. Because I've, I've, like, I've nearly been here before. I've stood on the edge of things before. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to go all doom and gloom, but I'm going to take us back before Joshua 1 to the 40 years previous to that. You see, like about 1440, 1446 years before the birth of Christ, and, and 40 odd years before Joshua stood on the edge of the promised land and all the people went, you remember, if Dan read it last week, wherever you tell us to go, we'll go. Wherever we're with you, there's that real spirit of faith. And the Lord said to Joshua, be bold and courageous. Everywhere you set your foot, I'll give you. It's remarkable. But it wasn't like that. Like 40 years early, it wasn't like that. So all those years before the birth of Christ, 480 years before Solomon's temple, the Israelites had escaped the clutches of the Egyptians. And, and when they were under Egyptian slavery, we know from Exodus 1.13 that they were, they were groaning and, and they were brutally treated. It, it, was, it was horrific. People were dying. There was forced labor. And, and it, said they, it says in Exodus that their groans came before the Lord and the Lord heard them. And... Uh, he actually says in Exodus 2 that they were groaning in pain and God raised up Moses. It's a bit of a thing, isn't it? That when we do cry out before the Lord, he does hear us, but sometimes it's not an immediate answer. Because we're in such a consumerist society now, we expect when we call to God, he'll answer us within 15 minutes. Or it's like, it's like Amazon Prime prayer. You know, I'll get next day delivery. Well, that's quite good, though. I just thought of that. That's, that's tweetable. Uh, but it's... But, it's uh, there you go. We're not paying for our prayers now. Come on. So, but but actually, in Scripture, when people cry out to God, it can take years because God's doing a work. But in this case, God did hear their cry, and He rose up Moses. And then you know, people have this impression of the Exodus, like you know, it's just a few people walking down the road across the desert, you know, through the seas. But actually, it was six hundred three thousand five hundred and fifty men on foot, aged twenty and above, besides women and children. That's how they counted the numbers back in the day, in the Book of Numbers. So, in other words, this is a lot of people. That's a lot of people. You know, what's Chesterfield? A hundred thousand people. It's, 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 it's. I mean, this is unprecedented numbers of people traipsing through the desert under the leadership of Moses. But the thing that people forget is they weren't heading in blindly. Now, fascinatingly, Exodus 23 says this. Before they, before they even went into the desert, as they're getting in there, it wasn't like, 
Oh, where are we going to go? How's this going to work out? You know, we've got millions of people wandering around. What's going? It wasn't like that. God actually spoke to them. There is a promise. So Exodus 23, check this out. This is verse 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I prepared. Be on your guard before him. Obey his voice. Don't be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary for your, to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Everyite. And I'll completely destroy them. You should not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do something according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water. I'll remove sickness from your midst. No one will miscarry or be barren in your land. I'll fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I'll send hornets ahead of you so that they'll drive out the Hevites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. I'll not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. This is interesting. I'll drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. And I'll fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I'll deliver into the inhabitants of, your, of the land into your hand and you'll drive them out before you. Interesting that. It's like, I'm going to do this thing, but I'm going to do it stage by stage, bit by bit. I'm not going to overwhelm you, but you're going to advance into the land. And so often God does that. So you might be, you know, even with our buildings, you can do this bit, and then you will settle you down, and then you'll do that bit, and we want it all now. But actually, it's in stages. That's an interesting little sideline observation. We need to remember that. But the other thing to remember is that Moses didn't get to the edge of the promised land without a promise. And it was, don't worry. You're going to see some opposition. Oh, I'm going to go ahead of you. I'll send my angel. Listen to his voice. My presence is in him. I'm going to, you know, your enemies are going to be wiped out. They're going to melt away from you. Don't worry. Now, you would think if the Lord actually spoke like that to the people, that they'd have a little smidgen of confidence, wouldn't you? Like if Almighty God spoke right now, this voice, like an angel stood amongst us and went, don't worry about the town planners. We'll find a way through. I will, I will confuse their plans and their committees. <laughs> You'd be like, okay then, you know, we're going to get a building, I think, everyone. How do you know what is this massive angel <laughs> just told us he's going to confuse the planning department? You'd listen to his voice, wouldn't you? Like, you have no fear. And you'd think that that would happen here, but it didn't. So now, we're one year on. That was in... 1446 BC, one year later, under Moses' leadership, with all those promises, Moses sends the spies into the land. It says this in Numbers 13. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture because this is so important. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send, for yourself out to, uh, send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give you to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their tribes, and everyone have a, have a leader among them. So that's the beginning of chapter 13. Then it says, 
verse 18. See what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an, make an effort then and get some of the fruit from the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So that was instructions to the spies. And then, verse 25, they return. And he says, When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. I equivalent would be Mike and the property team coming back to report to all of you guys uh, at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Uh, and thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. And it, and it flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. And then it says this. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And as we read on in a minute, the atmosphere starts to change. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These were, they, the literal translation of that is long-necked. They were like warrior, fearsome warrior people. Anak was a scary warrior. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea, by the side of Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of the land, for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which you've gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw are, are men of great size. We also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we were, we were in their sight. In, you read in Genesis 6, you read what the Nephilim are, the, the offspring of the angels who came down and... Uh, and had relationships with women, it says, and the offspring were like the warriors of old, the heroes of old emerged from the stories of the Nephilim. It's extraordinary. But basically what they're saying is, they're really big. They're like world's strongest man all over the place, and we're going to get our heads kicked in. That's basically what they're saying. That's a one for paraphrase of the scripture. And all the people lifted their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So here's the deal. God hears their cry. They're in slavery. He sends a leader called Moses. He provides miracles through Moses. They witness the miracles firsthand. They know that God's hand is on them. He tells them not to be worried or afraid. And then a year later, they come to the threshold of their future. They send the spies in. God has spoken. And they have this incredible collapse of confidence. And it's like, didn't God say in Exodus 23 that I'd drive out the Jebusites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hevites? Didn't he actually say you're going to come up against fortified cities? Like when you read Exodus 23 and then you read Numbers 13, it's a mirror. You see? It's an absolute mirror of what happened a year earlier. And it starts to go really, really pear-shaped. So it's like verse 6 of... Oh, Verse 14, all the people lifted up their voices, cried, the people wept, and all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, 
Would that we died in the land of Egypt, or would that we died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to another one, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So now they're even saying, I'd rather go back to slavery than face the next stage. What an amazing turnaround, don't you think? Rather go back to slavery. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and all those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't, don't rebel. He'll, he'll bring us into the land. Don't fear the people of the land. For they'll be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said, stone them. That's a bad church meeting. That is a really bad church meeting right there. I mean, I've been in some bad church meetings. Some of you have been in bad church meetings, but that's next level. But actually what they're saying is, you know, sack all this off. I mean, there's opposition. I, 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 I just would just rather not face that. We'd just rather go back and be enslaved and be the way we were rather than face that. And I, I honestly, I read through that. This is preceding last week's sermon. And it's like, God has heard their cry, sends them a leader, provides the miracles. We know that God's hand is on them. He tells them not to worry or be afraid. And they quit on the shop. And you'll know what the upshot is. They wandered aimlessly for 40 years. And that whole generation died apart from Joshua and Caleb. There is a reason why in Joshua 1, and this is the important thing, there is a reason why in Joshua 1, when Joshua says we're going to go, they all say, let's do it. Because everyone who had been negative or didn't have faith was dead. They were all dead. The only people who had come through, the people who had been raised up by Joshua and Caleb. Now, I think that's not so much a warning as a lesson that we are to learn. We, we formed Redeemer King out of a sense of promise that we were going to win loads of people to Christ. We wanted to form a church where we were free to express our deep love for Jesus and mentor people and disciple them into all the fullness of Christ's hands where the power of the Holy Spirit would flow, where we'd be deeply embedded in the Word of God and we could give Jesus all the glory, unashamed, and see the power of Christ impact our town. And because of that sweet spirit that we have, and this is such a kind church, and we're making mistakes, and we don't get everything right, and we haven't sorted everything out, but we're trying to keep our hearts sweet before him, I think God's smile is on the church and is permitting it. He is permitting us to grow and to see people come to Christ and healings happen and all kinds of amazing things and new partnerships breaking out. It's an amazing time. But we could, we could decide to just keep loving each other, have a nice time, enjoy a cup of tea on a Sunday morning, Worship the Lord a bit with some quality worship and then go home. I, I'm not up for that. I, I don't want that. 
I mean, I want that, but I want it on an epic scale. Because the more people we reach, the less people go into hell. We can't let people go to hell in our town. Not on our watch. We mustn't melt in fear. That we stand on the edge of this amazing promise. We've got to do all that we can to not just stay in unity, but to push out and lengthen our cords and stretch out to the right and left. Not because I'm trying to build an empire, but we want to create a salvation machine where everyone in this town, through all the churches, has a fighting chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives patched up. And that means we're now on the edge of having to take some radical steps. And I kind of guess I'm saying that you're with it or you're not. Because it's not going to be easy. The Christian life is not easy. And whenever you try and do something new or pioneer something or stretch out, there will be opposition from the pit of hell. And it will come in infighting and it will come in lost opportunities and fear. It's amazing, isn't it, how the atmosphere just changed in numbers there. That their hearts just melted with fear. And I, I, honestly, I've, I've seen this happen. I think, I think there's a choice about how we are to live as Christians. I, I think there's two types of people. I think there are Caleb people and non-Caleb people. Caleb-spirited people, like Caleb who said... The Lord will give us it because he spoke in Exodus 23 and we're going to be all right now because God's with us. Caleb's spirited people hear the Lord and believe. That you hear it and they believe wholeheartedly. They're also can-do people. You know, we can do this because like, God's with us. That's the subplot because God is with us. We can do this. I believe they see over the horizon to what the future could be and they're prepared for short-term pain for long-term blessing, and they're into legacy. I want to build this so that when I'm long gone, scattered over some field on the edge of Chesterfield, hopefully the willow tree planted on top, because I do like willow trees, not that I know about it. But when I'm long gone, there's still a church in operation with people getting saved. It's legacy. No, I want to build something for, for generations I don't even see, unless the Lord comes back. But we act like, you know, there's a legacy piece. That's Caleb people. But the opposite of that are churches where people hear the Lord and see the problem first. Now, we have to spot problems to overcome them. Now, what if we're trying to buy some news and we find out there's a bat colony or some mine or something like that? Well, it's the problem. We overcome it. But you don't do it from the outset. Oh, no, we can't buy that because there's bats. Well, we home them. You know, we home the bats. We can't do that because there's a mine. Well, pump some concrete in then. You know, there's always a way through. But Caleb, the non-Calebites, they don't... Calebite, that's a good term. They don't... They see the problem. They're not the... Like, you're not the why not, let's have a go. They're the what if people. What if this and what if that? They see a wall, not a horizon. And they don't want pain because they'd rather just keep it the way it is. But nothing progresses unless you go through a pain barrier. So like training for a marathon. Miraculously, I can speak from experience. You know, it, it, it hurts sometimes just walking up the road. But then after many months, you can run up the road. 
and suddenly you can go further and you can go further and you go further, but you have to go through a pain barrier. I remember when um, the CVM conferences were kind of okay, but we weren't seeing huge salvation and uh, this we, we decided to, well, basically, long, very long story short, someone said, well, what do you want to do? And I went, I wanna, I'm just going to selfishly create a conference that I'd like to go to because I think that would draw, you know, what do men want to go to? And they said, well, what does it involve? And blowing up caravans, uh, you know, kebabs, car shows, any gospel content? Oh, yeah, of course, Jesus in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, shoot stuff, throw stuff, you know, fall off things, injure yourself. Uh, sounds great. And they said, what do you need to do that? I went, a field. And we were on this cruise ship to Dublin, uh, thinking actually the ministry's about to go bust, and this bloke comes over with a cardboard tube, very posh bloke, very posh bloke. I can do a posh accent. He came over and he went, hello. And I said, hello. And he said, are you on Carl Beach? And I said, I am. And he went, he said, can I show you what's in this cardboard tube? And I went, please do. So <laughs> like, what? And then um, he spread out these maps, and it was a map of a polo field. And he said, I've just purchased these polo fields. And he said, and um, oh, I was going to put polo on them. I went, well, as you do. And he said, um, but then he said, marvellous. He said, my son, he said he drove into the polo field shortly after he purchased them. And he had a vision of thousands of men coming to Christ. So I thought I'd see if you wanted some fields. And literally, I'd just been talking about it over a pint with my mates around the table. And they all looked at me and went, what? I went, I'll have them. I said, how much? He went, free for you. Like that. I went, fantastic. That's a field near Swindon. That's the field near Swindon. So anyway, when I announced we were doing it, I literally got complaint after complaint after complaint. But I knew that God had spoken. I knew it. I knew it. Knew the Lord had spoken, despite all the joking around. We started a gathering, 300 guys and 500 guys and 780 guys and 1,500 guys and 2,000 guys. But there was a promise. I did, I've now shown you this photo before, but I want to show those of you who've not seen it before. Uh, Q Branch, if you could. Every year that I preach the gospel on a Saturday night, a rainbow appears over the big top. The first year we went there, there was a rainbow nearly every day. We went down to the field a week early. It was God's promise. I knew God had spoken. I believe that God speaks through things like this. There's a rainbow over that site. I remember the first time I went to preach the, 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 the gospel, this bloke came out and he said, Beachy, the, the, the rainbow's back. And I said to him, I know people are going to get saved tonight. And we have seen hundreds and hundreds of men become first-time believers through the event that people told me they'd stop praying for me over. Because I knew that God had spoken. The one year we didn't have a rainbow, the one year this bloke um, sat in the meeting and he thought, what a load of rubbish, what a load of rubbish. What's all these blokes becoming Christians, coming to the front, shaking around, giving their lives to Christ through tears. And then he walked outside and he saw the contrails had been cut off in the sky to form the shape of a cross and the summer's glinting off it. And he literally walked out and he went, there is a God. <laughs> and collapsed on his knees <laughs> and gave his life to Christ. <laughs> Came back in eating humble pie. Because there is a promise. And I believe there's a promise over what we're doing. So are we a Caleb people or not? I believe there's an opportunity in front of us. I believe that God's spoken. The reason there was a different vibe for Joshua is that God had wiped out that generation, allowed them to wander aimlessly for 40 years. So, I'm simply going to finish by saying this before we pray a bit together and take communion. I think we're in an unprecedented season now. Yes, we are work in progress. We have not got all this sorted out. We, we make mistakes as a leadership. 
we, we wrestle and tussle over things because we want to be the best that we could be and shepherd the church in the best possible way. But one thing I'm determined to do is that we're a church that despite all of that, we continue to deeply cheer each other on and cheer the vision on, support one another, lift up each other's hands before the Lord. And, and I can remember um, years ago, um, you know, Emily wanted to cycle up a hill in Bath and um, I thought that's a bit of a big hill. Uh, she's a bit tiny and she had this little bike and her legs were spinning around just going like two foot every hundred revolutions of her. I thought this is going to take a long time. And Anyway, I was cheering her on behind. She won't remember this. I was going, go on, Emily. A bit aggressive, probably. Come on, you can do this. You know, it's like slowly creeping up the hill. Going, go on, you're nearly there. She's like, am I nearly there yet? And I'm going, you're nearly there. I'm thinking, you've got about a quarter of a mile to go. Yeah, this is, this is horrific. Anyway, and we got to the top. I'm like, come on, Emily, come on, Emily, you can do this, Emily. I'm making a right scene on this big mountain bike. Me little kid, like, look, I was like torching her, going up this little hill, <laughs> legs spinning around. And we finally got to the top, and I went, you did it, you did it. And she, I went, how do you feel? And she went, my legs are bending. <laughs> my legs are bending. <laughs> They're like jelly. But I, I, something happened for Emily then, but something happened to me. Because I'd cheered her on. Because I believed that she could do it. When Joshua and Caleb stood in front of the people, they were in a different place. I think that God's brought many of you here because this is our opportunity to be in a different place. But it's all hands on deck in, in every respect. And I've taken a long time over this, but it's so important. It's, it's money, it's time, it's volunteering, it's prayer, it's all of these things. And it's untold passion for Christ and the belief that God can transform this town. It's exciting, isn't it? 